talk about 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Jay Thomas. With me, like always, Rick and Jill Van Dyke. We've got Jill with us in the studio here Good today. Morning. Yeah, so we're doing a swap roof from the last time that we were together where uh, you were on the phone and uh, Rick was on the in the studio. Yeah, so he's joining us from Emma Lake right now. Um, so he's up enjoying the cabin with my aunt and uncle and some friends. So uh, it's nice that they can um, spend some time up north together and get different scenery. Exactly. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you? Pretty good. What's it like at the lake? It's beautiful. It's like they've had lots of rain here in the last little while. Things are green and soppy. And uh, my sister Elsa has some amazing perennial and annual gardens around her cabin. It's just a just a fly. It's all in full bloom right now. It's just a, quite amazing. She has been blasting my inbox um, with my text messages all summer long with pictures of her garden and how amazing it is. <laughs> and not only me, it's now group text with all the staff at the garden center. Too. Oh my gosh! And everybody's just look at this. Look how great it's growing. We have to make sure that uh, we're telling people about this plant. And it's just it's just awesome to. See see how much things are flourishing, yeah. even way up north in, in northern Saskatchewan. Well, you know, she, she's been trying a whole bunch of plants that are actually like a zone four, and they've been just flourishing up here, and they're going, okay, well, we're going to have to try those then, and for sure we'll have to try these then, because never thought they would grow here, but look at that, way up in, you know, up at Emma Lake, they're growing, so they'll grow anywhere. She we does. are talking about the gardening experts, though, right? Yeah. This is the Van Dyvendyke family, so holy smoke, yeah. She does have a little bit more of a sheltered yard up at the lake there, but still, it is quite far up north, up at Emma Lake, and uh, she's um, trying some echinaceas up there, and some different types of hostas, and it's just, it's just actually pretty cool to see what's growing, and even some of her annuals that are returning every year. So, yeah, they're self-seeding and returning, so it's kind of cool. I think part of the the plus up there is that they've had a few more rains than the rest of the province. There's parts of the province that are in pretty dire straits when it comes to moisture, and that part of the province has done a little bit better when it comes to that stuff. So that's uh, that's definitely helping the situation too. Absolutely, yeah. And keeping that fertilizer on those plants, I think, is huge too. Awesome. All right, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. That's the number you call to join the conversation. You can text us. You can call us. And we've already got an early bird in this morning that we're going to get on right now. Awesome. Uh, Brian has joined the conversation with us and he's from saskatoon good morning brian morning rick here my old stomping ground emma lake my grandma had a cabin on nice's beach for years there nice country up there beautiful country um anyways uh, i talked to you a couple of weeks ago i said i did netted covered up my tomatoes so i figured the birds are stealing the blossoms and since then I still got no blossoms now. The the plants got a fair amount of fruit on them. Uh, they're healthy. I keep them watered, fertilized, whatnot. Is there anything else they could be doing, or is it just run their cycle and they're saying, that's it, that's all I'm giving you? Yeah, basically now just run the cycles as long as you as long as you be consistent with the watering and and give them some fertilizer because they they want they're hungry little plants and uh, you know because it's starting to get later in the season now, so it's uh, you just let them run the cycle. So we're not expecting any more blooms or blossoms, is what you're saying, Rick? Yeah. yeah I, go ahead, Jill. I think that the season's done. If those birds have eaten them off at this point in time, it will take a couple more, three more weeks for them to get more blossoms on that, and then for them to produce fruit, you're looking like the seasons. It's not going to be able to extend that long. And we're not going to have the heat, the extreme heat, which really puts the fruit on nicely, right? Exactly. I think that uh, you have to call it kind of done with those ones. If you if you can find at a garden center maybe some plants that haven't gone through the bloom season, you can maybe pick some of those up and then cover them into the fall season. But it is getting kind of late. You look at the days and it's usually 60 to 90 days to get a, um, a crop on a tomato plant and we're, we're getting to yeah. that in there. Well, the plant's got a fair amount of fruit on it, so okay. maybe it kind of knows too that it's, you know, kind of winding giving, down, uh, giving up an sort of yeah. thing Yeah, if it. you already have the fruit on it, then it, it's probably completed its cycle. It's, uh, it's going to say, okay, you know what, remember tomatoes are an annual, so their purpose is to produce fruit, which produce seed. And then finish up their cycle and die. So um, you're, you're probably going to be able to harvest that nice fruit that you have on it, and then uh, the cycle's going to be finished. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brian. Take Great. care. 
one 332 8255 We'll go to our text line in a moment. we still got some time in this first segment to uh, keep going with calls. Uh, we'll get to Paul's call here shortly. So on the text line, this is from uh, Rosie, who's in Melford. Garden talk question. I've got a small hydrangea shrub. It's not doing well in its current spot. It's against a garage facing northeast. Hasn't produced any blossoms this year. Can I move to a sunny location now or wait until early fall? Also, when's the best time to split and transplant hostas? So sort of two questions. Let's talk about that hydrangea first. Go ahead, Mike, with that one. The hydrangea, you want to wait till spring. Uh, as soon as the frost on the ground are around the middle of April, that's the best time for hydrangeas. If you move them in the, otherwise you move them in the fall, but it, they just don't have enough time to root. And so, uh, otherwise, if I do move it in the fall, I'm going to mulch it really, really heavy, uh, and then take that mulch off in the spring. But otherwise, the best way to move it is uh, just move in the spring. You do not want to move it now. Uh, the temperature, you know, we still get some really warm weather and you'll just shock it too much. Yeah, and in regards to your hosta, um, you can move your hosta and split it in the fall, um, but you're best to do that in the spring. You just, um, with hostas, are, sometimes they need a little bit more. They'll get some winter damage, so you're best to do it in the spring when they can get rooted in well before our harsh winters because we don't know what we're getting when, we're, when we have the winters coming up. So I would wait until the spring, and then you can do um, the root division on those, and you can do that early spring um, right as soon as the frost comes out of the ground. Okay, I've got a question about uh, hydrangea actually. So I've sure. got I've got one in the corner of my yard, and so let me figure this out. It's tucked into the corner of a fence, and that it would get sort of um, south, but it's south exposure, but it's it's limited because it's in between two houses. Okay. Okay. So, so it's uh, like a sheltered south. Exposure. Yeah, it's like a sheltered south. It's not going to get sun the whole day mm-hmm. or into the evening because it, the sun kind of wraps around the house, the two story house we have a little bit. So uh, I kind of fried it a little bit. Like uh, there, it, 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 the sprinkler missed it for a while. I adjusted the sprinklers. Didn't realize it wasn't hitting it anymore. Lots of blooms. It, so it, it had green long enough to make flowers, and it's making lots of flowers. It's grown, but now I fried a lot of the leaves. Like they're kind of a rusty color. Some of them are green. Yep. Some of them are kind of rusty. So and, what, and you're saying that that's from the lack of water? Though, I think correct? it's a lack of water. It dropped a lot of its yep. leaves. Yeah, it might be okay. I mean, unless it got really, really hot, you know, on some of those really hot days, and it just with lack of water, and with the reflection, for, even for those couple hours off the two houses, you might have just got, like I said, just fried. I think it might be okay there as long as you, like I said, as long as you got the water part under control. I think because it's only for a couple hours, not right, Jay? You said well, only a couple hours of sunshine. Yes. Uh well, probably maybe half the day. Half the day. Yeah. So, so the, I did the, this. I did the same thing on my house. I planted them on the south, thinking like a two-story house like yours, the fence is on mm. the other side. You know what? There might be enough shade in that area. Mine did the same thing, and every year they deteriorated. They were just getting too much reflection off the side of the house when it was the sun there, and they were just burning. Um, so I did end up moving them into another area, and they are thriving in that area now. Um, so that's just one thing that I ended up doing. Um, but you can try maybe seeing if the water was... was well, it's was, done good every year. Mm-hmm. Like I've had it for five or six years okay it's done a good every year it grew big it was nice and green but for some reason in my head i adjusted the sprinkler head to change something over here but i didn't realize that now it wasn't hitting that plant anymore so it might just be water then yeah so so will it like it's got half its leaves some of them are kind of rusty colored there are some green ones and some new ones that have come out because i've got the watering back going will it will it survive Oh, yeah, it'll be okay. Next year, it'll pop right back again. Just start fertilizing, cut it back in the, in the spring, and then yep. give it fertilizer every three weeks, it'll pop right back. Okay, all right, perfect, perfect. I know it's not like it's going to snow in two weeks, uh, knock on wood, but, you know... Don't uh, even say that. I know, I know, but, you know, it's sort of, we still got that heat. There's been a couple cooler days more recently that it's like, oh, it's kind of a little bit of a change. This is strange. It's still going to be nice and hot and warm for a long time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, school will be kind of starting-ish. What is it? When does it? When do your kids go back, Jill? Uh, the first week of September they go back. So, right? Like, yeah, it's it's coming soon. That's crazy. Rick, uh, Rick and, you're, you know... We've always, we've always had September being really warm in the last bunch of years, so we've got still lots of, lots, of, lots of gardening time to do yet. Oh, sure. Absolutely. But I feel like that when we start to get into September, the light starts to disappear a little bit, so you get a nice warm part of the middle of the day, but those evenings and mornings aren't quite those you know, warm temperatures like we see right in July kind of thing, right? 
Yeah, that's true. And I'm, I'm even finding like my kids, they, they hop out of the pool a little bit quicker. Although thanks, thanks dad for keeping that pool at 92 degrees. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, but, uh, there, it's getting a little bit cooler at night. And uh, even last night we were outside on the deck watching the meteor showers because the meteor showers are happening oh. the 12th and 13th. This, like that's when you can see them the most right now. You can really feel that crisp, uh, like autumn air coming in a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A yeah, little bit. Um, one thing, Jay, when I know that fall is coming is I, next week is when like the fall mums start arriving. So it's, it's just hard to believe that that, what? um, pumpkins are, are so big. I got back and I haven't been at my house very much. I've actually had people staying at my house. I've been staying at the cabin. So I stopped in and checked on my garden and I have pumpkins that are probably, I would say close to 18 to 20 inches across in my, You're in my kidding. garden. They're huge. And I've got striped ones and white ones and blue ones. My kids wanted to try all different colors of pumpkins and they've taken over. They've climbed over my fence and around down into my grass. I was like pulling them because they had rooted down into my grass, pulled them out. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just incredible. Like how, how much the, the warm temperatures that we had, everything just sort of spiked in the last couple weeks. So, Harvest is coming. For yeah, sure. that's crazy. That's crazy. We've got a call actually to go to one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. That's the number you call or text. And waiting patiently, we got to thank him for that. Is Paul, who's in Saskatoon. Hi there, Paul. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hi there. Um, we've had a lot of rain in the last few days, and uh, I've got six fifty-five gallon barrels full of water. Wow, that's a lot. Now, when when do I? Like, I'm going to have to do something with this water here sometime. Um, when do I stop watering uh, the pine trees? Like, I can dump them on the pine trees. And uh, I want to save some for my apple tree, my red delicious apple tree. I just want to keep a, a barrel for that, just to keep on watering that. But when when do you stop watering the trees? Is it still too it all depends. It, it, Paul, it'll all depend on, on the weather, but normally I, st- I tell people to slow down watering their trees after the September long weekend. Okay. So at and, and that point in time, I just want, I don't want to quit altogether. I just want to keep enough water to keep them alive, but slow down. And then once we get around the middle of October, then I give them one last good soak, especially the evergreens. Because they are obviously green all winter long, and so they just want to, you want to build up that last little bit of reserve, so that they have enough moisture for the whole for the rest of the winter. Okay. What about the apple tree? When do I stop watering that guy? Same, same thing. All your trees, especially your if you have maples and birch trees, you yeah. definitely want to start slowing down watering those. And if you got them in your grass, you're going to start slowing down your grass as well. In order, because otherwise, maples. What will happen is you need them to turn color. And if, they don't, if you keep them too wet, they won't turn color and they'll stay green, and then you'll get a lot of tip kill on them. So uh, so birches and maples is a big one in most trees right now. But you got to remember, we had a pretty uh, last couple of hot summers. And so right now, you want to be watering so that you've got a deep watering. Like you can take a, take a piece of that rebar, like I always talk about, poke it down like, you know, 18 inches down for those trees and make sure you got moisture right down deep and because uh, I'm seeing around the city right now especially those boulevard trees and that are on the old parts of the city the tops of the elms and that are um, are are stressed and now even in Saskatoon and even Regina we're seeing more signs of Dutch elm disease and that's because the insects tend to go after the trees that are more stressed and uh, so you don't want that. You want them to keep your trees healthy so that the not stress of the insects don't go after those trees and, and cause them to die later. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm a rebar guy. I got my rebar years ago when you started talking about it. So. <laughs> yeah. And and it's and it's 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 deep watered now, and that's okay, why perfect. I was wondering when when do I shut her down? I you know. Yeah. We're on September long weekend. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. You guys you have a great weekend. Thanks again for the call, Paul. Keep them coming. You bet. Take care. I want to echo what Rick said about the maple trees, especially. I actually lost a maple tree in my yard because it was getting too much water. There was an underground spring in my backyard Mm. in Stonebridge here in Saskatoon. And we actually ended up having to put two sub pumps in our backyard to pump the water out so that the tree would not get as much water in the late fall because what would happen is it wouldn't shut down. It would keep pushing out new growth and then uh, it wouldn't drop its leaves in the fall. And then it just, it just died. We replaced that tree two times and then we finally figured, 
we need to do something about this water. And then once we did the sub pump in the ground to get the water out, then the trees started living. Well, and I, I kind of pulled that same mistake a little bit last year. I didn't lose any trees, but I've got birch trees along the back of my mm-hmm. fence that, you know, I, I was, I, I just wanted that nice green grass, although as long as I could, yeah. but, but they're not quite in the grass. They're next to it. But the way the, the land is sloped back to my back alley, a lot of the moisture that goes into the lawn ends up going down and then into the trees, kind of the natural slope of the land. And they were really green when it, when the, when the snow came. I know it makes and, me nervous. And, and it was, there was, a, there was, there was a lot of leaves on the trees. Uh, when, when the cold came, even in this spring, I had to actually kind of get on the ladder and kind of take a, a, a glove on and, and pull all the, the dead. They, they had all turned brown eventually over winter, of course, but it, they yeah. never dropped. They just never fell. Whereas other falls, it's been no problem where, you know, so that was my mistake. I just kept going too far with the water. So I got to remember, I got to give up, give up the grass to save the trees. There is such kind a of thing as over caring for your plants, right? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And especially those birch trees, because the, the Dakota Pinnacle, the Parkland Pillar Birch, they turn such a beautiful gold color in the fall. You want them to turn color because it just adds such a beautiful color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's go to the, the, te- the text line, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. This is a good one, actually. A good, good morning, Rick. Could you go through your rules on how high I should be cutting my grass different times of the year? Yeah, so when it's hot, you want to be at least two and a half, two and three quarter inches long. My grass out in the country, I, I'm almost keeping it in, in, I'm doing two, three and three quarter inches on my main grass where I want to keep it nice in the summertime. And the areas where uh, I, I don't have irrigation, I'm cutting, I'm keeping that around four and a half to five inches. Uh, just so it doesn't, because what happens is that the sun will just bake the soil and just stress the grass out even more. And then uh, once we start getting, so I like when it's really hot. If it's not a hot, if we're getting lots of moisture like we are up here up north right now, then I can go down to about two inches, two and a quarter inches. Uh, and then for the winter time, you want to for the for the winter time, you want to bring that down to about uh, just maybe just under two inches, so that it doesn't mat down and we get all that snow mold and everything else. So you just want to have it down, not too short, not scalping, so the frost can get down, but just about about an inch and three quarters to two inches for the winter time, and that's perfect. I think on my lawnmower, I've got five settings for height that I can adjust it. Yeah, same with me. So I I run it at the fourth tallest setting all summer. Not quite the fifth one. That's really long. But the, the fourth one. And actually, I'm pretty proud of my lawn this year. It is super thick and lush. I was standing on the front lawn yesterday, and you could sort of actually sink into it like shag carpet. You know? Mm-hmm. Like it was... It's, yeah. And the weeds are almost toast... There's, there's the odd one here and there. You just you almost can never win. But you've been using the groundskeeper. I yeah, I've been using groundskeeper, and it's it's just going crazy. But yeah, I'll take it down from the fourth one to the second shortest at my last cut before the winter is usually yeah, what I do. I find if I don't do that last cut before the winter, it lays flat and I get a lot worse snow mold in the spring. Yes, so it's yeah. really important that you do take it down right before the end. So if one is the lowest and five is the tallest, I run on four all summer. I go down to two for that last cut. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's perfect, Jay, because you know what, like I said, if you want to keep, a lot of people have made a lot of phone calls this year about ants in their garden, right, in their, in their lawn. And so if you keep it longer and you keep it nice and thick, the ants will move out. They don't like to be on that grass. It's too much of a jungle to have to crawl through all the time. So <laughs> exactly. They, it's just like like short, they like ants like short grass and grass that's thin. It's just like that. You know, that have not a stick. Like that movie when we were kids, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They're all stuck in the grass, right? And the ants are there yeah, helping exactly. them out. Carol, who has just been waiting patiently on with us right now. Carol's in Saskatoon. Good morning, Carol. How are you? Good, mor- good morning. I'm fine, thanks. Good thing. Awesome. So you want to talk about a nine bark and a lilac, is that right? That's correct. Okay, what are your questions? So we live in a condo, have a golden nine bark uh, along the east side and the west side. Uh, quite a few dead branches in it, uh, but there's lots of growth as well. So a couple of questions. When is the best time to cut it down and how far should we cut it down? And then how do we fertilize it? Okay, so if you're going to fertilize it now, you're going to start fertilizing now next spring, okay, because you don't want to force it to grow anymore this year. Okay. Uh, just, let it, just let it set up uh, and, and just, just grow for this year. Uh, what, now what you want to trim it back, if you want to trim it back, do it once the leaves start falling off the plant, Okay. 
Okay. So this fall, or you can do it in March or the first week of April next spring. Either one. Like as soon as the snow disappears, basically, that you can see the plant. So, um, but yeah, you can prune it back on a nine bark. You can prune it back up to fifty percent on the nine bark. It will, that that'll just come right back, not a problem. If you want to fill out real nice, yeah, and then start fertilizing around the Mother's Day, and then fertilize every three weeks until around approximately July the fifteenth. Mother's Day to July fifteenth. Okay. Every three weeks. Every three yep. weeks. And if you wanted to really grow, fertilize it with a like a thirty ten ten or a twenty 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 anything like that will make them grow like crazy. And just make sure if you're in a condo, make sure that they're getting water if it's in a, in a hot spot because uh, a lot of times they just the only water they get in a condo is what they get from the sprinklers from the lawn, right? And yeah. so just make sure if it's up against the building or something like that that they're getting enough moisture for the summer as well. Okay. Uh, the second question I have is about a Charisma Lilac. So it's been here, I think, several years, and it's never bloomed. Yeah, that's a, a Charisma Lilac, another name for it is Dwarf Royalty Lilac is another name for it. It is a Dwarf Preston Lilac, and uh, it takes about five years for it to bloom. Now, one thing you've got to remember with the Preston Lilacs is that if you're having trouble with them blooming, use a higher phosphorus fertilizer, so some of the second number is higher. And then also what you want to do is watch when the other lilacs bloom. If yours doesn't bloom, what you want to do is give it a pruning right after, so in about the, about the 15th of June, 10th of June in that range. Give it a pruning then and then fertilize it. And that new growth that you put on at that point in time will bloom the following year. So you're looking at like a 15-30-15 fertilizer that you want to do to, to get that reblooming to happen. Yeah. Okay, and how, how much do we prune it uh, on June 15th? Uh, just give it a light pruning. Just give it a prune all the tips. What I want to do is I want everywhere you, where you're going to be cutting the pruning, and I like using it for that dwarf plant, I just like using a hedge clipper. Wherever you prune it, two branches will come out and they'll fork off, and then that will force that, that plant to shoot out a new set of new bloom on that new growth the following year. Okay. And so, but you don't want to prune in the fall and you don't want to prune in the spring, okay, because you'll cut all the blooms off. Right. So you yep. wanna you wanna prune it right after. Take a look where all the other lilacs are, and as soon as yep. all the lilacs in your area have finished blooming, that's when you wanna prune yours, whether bloomed or not, and then and then give it a light pruning. You only have to maybe with that one maybe be two inches off the top, and then that'll be enough after you start fertilizing, get lots of growth, and then bloom. It'll bloom the following year. Okay. Thank you so much for your help. You bet, Carol. Thanks okay. for the call yep. today. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. one 332 8255 Let's go to our text line because that's, we've got uh, lots of those rolling in here. This is from Julie, who's in Battleford. Strawberries are in a raised bed. It's about 18, inch tall, 18 inches tall. Uh, that, that bed is on the soil in the garden. What she wants to know is for winter prep, should I leave those in the raised bed or do those strawberries have to be moved into the, the ground um, she will be fine with the ones in the center of the raised bed. The ones in the edge that are closer than a foot to the edge of the bed, she may want to put some extra insulation around them or dig them up and move them. Um, so you just need to make sure that you have that insulation across the edge. It's the freezing and thawing that's going to bother them. So that's the biggest thing. So so, so when can you move those strawberries then? Um, well, you, if you take a big root ball around them, you can move them right now. Um, would be just fine to, okay. to sort of dig them up and move them. Now, strawberries. Something, something, something you can also do, Jay, is that you can put some SM styrofoam, like some styrofoam uh, insulation, yep. up against the outside edge of your planter bed and just put something up against them to hold that styrofoam up against the edge, and that will help protect them as well. Right. Okay. So, so that could be, you could leave the plants there possibly, get some of that yep. hard styrofoam, uh, attach it yep. to the outside for just the winter, take it off in the spring. And, and exactly. that's probably actually less work, honestly, than it is digging up all those plants, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And it will keep yeah. them rooted so that they're, they're getting bigger and bigger every year. Right. They're staying where they, staying put where they are. Mm-hmm. Could you, would you mulch the top of it? Like, would you want to do that? Well, with strawberries, you can always take some straw and mulch the top of the strawberries. Um, that's really good. Or even some bark mulch and put that around the strawberries and that will, that will help or Dry leaves even work really good, or bags of dry leaves. Put those on top as well, too. Right. So it's probably Sue for Sue from Silver Park. It's probably less work to just insulate that 
that raised bed rather than trying to dig it up, move it around. You risk you do risk to some of the plants at times, right? I and usually find in a in a raised bed you usually will save about 80%. Usually you'll lose about 20% to winter kill every year. Mm, right. And that's that's normal with a raised bed with the strawberries. Raised but raised and beds do really well with strawberries in the summer portion, right? They because they've fantastic. got heat. And the other thing too is strawberries put off runners. So you're going to get these runners. You can replant those runners into your garden. You have new plants as well too. Mm. So it's not like you're going to have to go out and buy new plants to maybe replace them. Just make sure you're replenishing them with the runners that you do have. Because will strawberries actually do better in a raised bed for production rather than the garden? Um, yes. They, yes. I find that they do a little bit better. They root in faster. Um, you can you can control the fertilizer and watering a little bit better, and they're a little bit higher up to to be able to enjoy them as well. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yep. Homegrown no, strawberries. Jay Joe, Jay, Joe made a good point of one way, especially with strawberries, because you put all that straw in there, it's hard to get it all out with all those little strawberries in there. You know, the plants in there. So putting it into white plastic bags and making it in a shape of a pillow, like not big mounted stuff from full, you know, big round ones bags, but just flatter bags that shape of a pillow and then put them on top of your bed so that what happens, and, and if it's white especially, it reflects the sunlight, Yep. will keep the temperature more of an even temperature and then uh, and then insulate it. And then in the spring, you just, and then put a rock or a board or something so the bag doesn't blow away. And then in the spring, you just pick up the bag and you empty it out into your compost and it's a lot less work. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, exactly. That's nice and easy. Perfect. Let's get one more text in before we go to our break. Uh, this is from somebody who just says, Garden Talk, if you, need to, if you need to, can you move raspberries and rhubarb before the end of August? Uh, you, they're pretty tough. You can. Uh, the best way, because especially if the temperature starts dropping down at nighttime, especially you can, uh, just make sure you take, try to take a ball of earth with the roots. That, that's the key if you do it early, is don't just take them bare root. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll be too stressed. So take them with a ball of earth, especially your rhubarb or your raspberries, take them with a ball of earth and then transplant them and then even give them a bit of shade. You know, whether even if you put a, a folding lawn chair over top of them, anything, just to give them a bit of shade to get them through those few days of stress, and then they'll be fine. Okay. But as always, when you're moving and splitting your perennials or um, or trees or shrubs, it's best to be done when they're dormant, probably early spring, because then they're not having to reroot and get back uh, into like sort of a established state before our winters come. And, and if you're moving early before the leaves start falling off, don't split. Mm, okay. Right. Yeah. Mm. Don't don't take that rhubarb up and split it this time of the year. Take mm. it as one big clump, lots of dirt, and move it that way if, if you have to. Like some people are putting a garage in or doing putting a sidewalk in, and they have to move it. Then just take it as one big earth ball and do not split it. Okay. Let's go to the text line. Rick, you there? Ready for us? Ready to go. Awesome. Okay. So this is from Charlene, who's in Prince Albert, and she says, I'm wondering when and how to prune junipers as they're getting too big for the spots I have them in. Okay. Junipers, if you do some light pruning, you can pretty much do it any time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you want to do some major pruning, you can only prune junipers back so you still see green. Okay. And, and so you could do that basically in the, in the, anytime in after August, uh, August the 15th. So anytime now, really. Cause the evergreens have now quit their, quit their growth and set their, set their buds for next year. Whether it be spruce trees, pine trees, all that kind of stuff. So you could do a lot of some pruning now and, uh, that'll be perfect to, to, to get at right now and right up until fall. And then you can also do it first thing in the spring. The only time I don't like doing the first thing in the spring is pine trees. I'd rather do them in the, right about now because they have time to heal up. And the, that goes with birches and maple trees. If you have to prune birches and maple trees, do it right now. Now is a great time to prune them because they have time to heal up so they won't bleed like crazy in the spring. But, yeah, the junipers you can do right now, just make sure you only prune back as far as you still see green. I was going to say, is it the same rule as uh, as the cedars where you can only prune back into the green? Because I remember growing up, uh, you always had those junipers along the front of the house near the sidewalk. And I think you we overestimated you wanted to be nice and full in there. So they always crept onto the sidewalk. And so you would they would be brown a little bit at the first, but then eventually the new growth would grow back over top again. So um, only pruning into the green is, is really important. Well, with, when it comes to those two things, uh, we always talk about this. And that is pick the the right 
plant for the spot. Yes, and make sure you allow for enough space. So when I plant my plant, I'll draw or I'll set it on the ground first and I'll draw a circle around what the full size of the plant is. And then you can see if that's going to be encroaching onto your sidewalk, into other plants or other areas in your yard. That is so, so important. Well, and think of how many houses that were built in the 70s and 80s in Saskatchewan. That two nice columnar cedars are planted on either side of the window you know like and now there's no window there's like it's completely covered it up right because they were just like four foot tall little spindly nice green trees and the first thing that real estate agent will say to you is get rid of those trees and allow the light to come into your home (laughs) but that's that's uh back then if we talk about back then that is 30 and 40 years ago we're talking about you know there was a lot less selection and variety right so there was some options but a lot of those trees were just you know one size fits all. But so we've got, we got a whole bunch of new varieties now, right? Yeah, but also think back then they were planting those plants in a two-gallon shrub, so two-gallon pot. So when they planted them, they thought, you know what, this is going to look nice here, just like if I was planting a new thing now, not looking at the full size. Mm-hmm. They might have been doing exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then now we're dealing with the full-size plant. But we got so many more options, right? There are we all do. kinds of junipers and cedars you can get that are dwarf miniature varieties mm-hmm. that do what you want to do, but don't go crazy, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One thing I remember too, if you do have a plant that you find out, okay, I I, I have a a, a skybound uh, cedar and I only have two and a half feet bed that I planted it in, so and you know it's going to go six feet wide. Make sure you keep it pruned as it grows. Don't let it all of a sudden yes. get really big and then want to bring it back in again. That's exactly the point it. I was going to make. Yeah. Yeah. You can keep it bonsai, like what I call bonsai, keep it smaller just by keeping it pruned every year so it doesn't get bigger. Because if you let it go and try to bring it back, like we talk about with these evergreens, if you prune back so far there's no green, there's there's nothing left. It's going to look ugly. It's going to look terrible. But if you keep it that size right from the start and stay on top of it, you can keep it dwarfed, so to speak, and still be a green tree. So that's that's a big big thing there. Uh, back to the text line one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. This is from Mike, who's in Regina. Any updates on red lily beetle control? Still waiting for those wasps to show up. Uh, after a couple of hun- hard frosts, I was planning to dig down a few inches around my lilies and totally remove the soil then replace it. Is that right. a good idea? Um, I mean, you can do that. You're, what he's trying to do is probably get rid of some of the eggs that have, have fallen on the ground or kind of have have sort of landed there. There is no beneficial insects that we have out out quite yet, so we're we're waiting for that too. Um, best thing to do is even just take a, a lint roller, go through lint roll the backs of your leaves, get rid of those lily beetles, and then, like you said, kind of remove that top half inch of soil, and it might catch some of the the eggs or larvae that's in there. Okay, uh, so nothing with the with the wasps. Though. We don't have the wasps just yet. yet. No. Okay. Uh, back to what we were talking about a moment ago. This is from Kyle, who's in Saskatoon. Says I've got a dozen thirty-foot-tall Port Oxford cedars. I haven't done anything with them in seven years since I took over the property. Is there anything fertilizing or maintenance that should be done other than branch trimming? Well, I mean, best, best branch trimming right now. If you want, not a problem. You can do it right now. No fertilizing now until next May, and then you can fertilize from May to May. May. Uh, it may tenth approximately right up until about the middle of July, and you can fertilize every three weeks. And the, the modern fertilizer depends on the size of the plant, and you can always bring a picture or you know whatever of the plant, and then the people at the garden centers will help you uh, figure out how much water. Because if it's a small little plant, it might only be a liter, and if it's a big sixteen foot cedar, it might be it might be twenty liters, you know, or or, mm-hmm. or even or even thirty liters of water every three weeks. So. So it all depends on the size and how much fertilizer you're going to give it. Yeah, and make sure you water them in well before the fall, right at the hard at the right before it frosts. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. We've got a news update coming up for everybody in just a moment, but we are going to get back to text from Lorna talking about begonias that won't open up. Where exactly do fruit flies come from? We're going to answer that question from Bonnie and Regina, and we're going to get to Jen's text in Saskatoon with some fruit tree questions, which is. Interesting, kind of, kind of how to get those ready for winter as well. If you've got a question, now is the perfect time to join the conversation. Still an hour to go. one 332 8255 Text or call that way. Uh, we're going to talk about, i got to say this. Boy, Rick, uh, things are looking great at the Garden Center. Uh, small update. You know, there's you guys are adding on to say in the Saskatoon location. Yeah. There's going to be a new pot land. We call it pot land because all the pottery <laughs> goes into that. And, it's going to uh, be our potting house. Their potting house and lots of new exciting stuff. So if you haven't been to Just Growers in a little while, Stop on by. You're going to see a whole bunch of new stuff there. It's not quite done yet, but 
yeah, it's looking pretty good. So that's awesome. What's it looking like? Looking like up north there, Rick? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, it was so wet that you can walk out into the beach and water would fill up into your into your shoe into your shoe marks. And uh, but now everything the sun's coming out and nice and green and uh, no, it's it's great, especially for the for the for the cattle farmers and the people that have livestock. I mean, the, the grass is is just so dry. And this is great for them, and even for the deer. Uh, this is going to be a bad year for the deer out there again because all the knolls and the hills and everything else are really brown, and the deer are going to be really hungry. So this little bit of rain is going to help green things up and give them food for the winter time as well. Now, you said that this is going to be a bad year for the deer, so can you maybe go over some tips that we can do to protect our trees and our, our yards from the deer? Yeah, so some of the some of the really ones that you really want to protect is you may want to put little pieces of snow fence or, or some wire. Or a neighbor of mine used a, a mesh and put it right around each plant, and uh, that worked really well. And uh, so making making sure that the deer can get away, you know, like like don't don't be able to get nibbling at, especially things like pines and junipers. Like with my junipers, I almost have to lay uh, uh, because they dug down in perfect circles right where the junipers were and ate the junipers last year, and they dug through about 18 inches of snow to get to them. So I'm going to put some, actually put some snow fence flat on the ground over top of them just to keep them out. And and, and, uh, and so that's going to be an, an issue this year, I think, too, because the lack of the lack of rain we've had in a lot of places around Saskatchewan, last year it was one of the worst years right across the whole province for deer coming into people's yards and just eating everything because they were just starved. Right. And so, um, so either, you know, put some... Put a bailout or something like that to keep them attract them away from your away from your garden, or otherwise you need a fence to your different areas around your around your garden so that they they just don't uh, attack the the your favorite most favorite plants or the ones like your spruce trees and that that uh, just don't come back for many many years. Now, and one of the things we talked about that we know has worked in the past too in summer months when you got deer who are hungry looking for stuff and they want to walk over and just uh, help themselves to your garden, for example, is is one of those scarecrow sprinklers, which are great because they're motion activated. You leave the the sprinkler turned on, and it doesn't water your grass or your or your garden all the time. It only cuts in if it notices some motion in the area, right? So if you want to scare them away. That sprinkler cuts in for a few sprays and then shuts back off, right? My my sister here at Emma Lake, she has about five of them all around the yard. And with all the flowers, she would not have this beautiful garden if she didn't have those because the deer would just walk in every night and just have a, have a smorgasbord with all the different types of plants she has. Exactly. Here. So she she has those, and you know what? I I walked out last night just to look at the at the, <laughs> at the stars and everything else, and I got hit a bunch of times trying to walk out, <laughs> and I got sprayed a couple of times. Try to dodge the sprinklers as I go. So it works really well. It startles, startles you and makes you move along really quickly. We're going to rename it to a Scarrick sprinkler. Yeah. yeah. So it keeps it's a deer away. A good and job keeps a deer away. Keeps those uh, neighbors who had maybe one or two many uh, at nighttime from yeah, being in your yard as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go to our text line. one 332 8255 Lorna in Grandora near Saskatoon. My begonias keep budding but never open up. They're in the shade, and I water as I've always done. I plant in the same pots every year, haven't been changing the soil. Could that be the problem? For fertilizer, fertilizer I've used the seaweed fertilizer, and it, I did use bloom fertilizer once this year. Okay, so with begonias, there's a few things that can cause the blooms not to do that. The first is underwatering them. Um, that's the biggest thing. If the soil gets hard and you're underwatering them, the blooms aren't going to open up for you. Doesn't sound like that's what she's been doing. Um, she said that she's been using the same soil year after year after year. Um, using a good quality soil mix um, is really important with begonias. If that soil gets too hard and too... Um, to pack together, uh, the begonias aren't going to thrive as much. So I would probably think that that's what the issue is this year, especially considering she's an avid gardener who has been growing these for year after year after year. And that's one thing that has changed. So I would switch out the entire pot of soil up, up to about 12 inches of soil you know, in the pot. I don't have begonias all the time, but for all the flowers that we do, I'm not saying that they always turn out great, but I find that most of the plants use up so much of the soil that it's so root-bound by the end of the summer with stuff that I have to, when, it, when it's fall and they've all kind of wilted and died and it's the end of the season, I go to you know clean out the pots and put them away for the season. I find that it's so full of 
so full of roots and everything, there's not even any really soil left. You just dump the whole thing out. It looks like a cake going upside down. Yeah. And and I buy new stuff in the spring, and we start again the next year. Yeah, you know? and I mean, you don't even have to do that, Jay. Like, if you take that even root ball, it comes out all at once, and you maybe take, like, a saw and cut the bottom part off and put that back as sort of a filler for your pot and then just fill the top 12 to 14 inches of your pot with soil, okay. yeah. that would be useful. A lot of people don't like to to use the soil just to fill up the bottom part because they just need that for drainage and 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 um, wicking basically mm, the okay. roots will go into there but that top 12 to 14 inches definitely you should be changing that out every year or every two years for sure um the other thing that can be causing um begonias not to open up is actually over fertilizing now i don't think this is an issue for her because she says she's using an organic seaweed, yeah, seaweed, seaweed then she did blend bloom fertilizer once but that's yeah, not very so much that's not very much so it does sound like it's a soil issue for this particular um client here and uh so you can adjust that next year by um, making sure that you put some fresh soil in there you know the other thing is there's actually some new soils too some like you think well just you know soil soil dirt's dirt whatever right but there are ones that have moisture control in them now too so i found that works really great for us is that we have some pots in some very hot spots on our deck and that soil keeps moist a little bit longer it still can dry out obviously yeah but there's so, different things you know ingredients now just make sure when you're choosing your soil you choose the right soil for the right area right. so that um, she's got these begonias growing in a shady area yep. so probably not the moisture wicking soil in that area also don't use that soil in a really large pot because it's not going to dry out quick enough mm. so that's a little trick so those are more for smaller pots or for bright sunny areas right right um, but make sure you're also looking for soils that have what they call a wetting agent in it so if you flip the bag over and we'll say that it has a wetting agent in it that allows the soil to uh, dry evenly from top to bottom so that you're not going to have the soil be sopping wet in the bottom and uh and nice and dry at the mm, top so there's make sure spending the money on uh your soil is and a pot with good drainage is really important or else you buy these plants and you put them into this pot and they don't grow as well. So no, that's I right. mean, people look at the soil and they're like, ooh, $10 a bag. I can buy maybe a cheap bag of soil, of topsoil for, for $3. Don't do that. Your plants are not going to thrive. There you go. You get, you get what you pay Jill, for. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of pots out there, Jill, that are actually self-watering that have a reservoir in the bottom. You don't want to use a, a, a soil that has a wetting agent with on, on top of one that, uh, that has a self-watering pot because it'll, be, it'll just make that pot just too wet. Right. All right. Let's go to our phone lines. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. We've got a couple to get to here. The one uh, we're gonna get Mark to hang on from Emerald Park. Uh, come calling in the first uh, is Blake, who's around Borden. Hi there, Blake. Hey. Uh, just a couple questions about pine trees and going into the winter. Uh, you mentioned about driving a piece of rebar into the ground and sort of getting water down at the roots. Is there a distance away from that tree you should uh, keep that hole? Yeah, around the drip line of the tree. So it's right, just just right inside, maybe two feet, just two feet inside the outside of the branches to two feet outside the branches. Okay. That's where the main feeder roots are. Okay, perfect. And then what kind of uh, fertilizer would you recommend for uh, for these trees? I, I've got 260 trees lying in my driveway, pine trees, and they're about 10 years old. And they're really away. Like they're doing really well. But I always think during the winter they look like they get a little roughed up, so... Yeah, what you want to check is check your, you want to do that this fall yet or right away, is check your pH of your soil. If okay. you find that the pH is up around, you know, higher than 7.3 or 7.4, and it's higher than that, then you want to use a sulfur-based type of fertilizer. So one that has an elemental sulfur in it, um, even even if you use, if you got that many trees, even if you use that groundskeeper fertilizer with the sulfur in it and the, and the phosphorus, that one works really well for those type of trees. Just spread it around the base of the tree, and just so, as if you would were fertilizing your lawn. That will work too uh, in the spring as well, because uh, it has that 17 sulfur in it, and the sulfur will make them hardier, so they don't go so rough through the winter time. Now remember, he said do this in the spring, so make sure you do not fertilize mm-hmm. any more this fall. Yep. Yeah. Okay. If you want to do something right now to lower the pH right now, then use some sulfur or some aluminum sulfate. That will help right now to make those plants hardier for this winter. Okay. Just not. You don't want to use a ton of nitrogen right now. That's what you don't want to use. Okay. Right. Nitrogen in spring. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Blake. Take care. We've got a couple of calls to go to first, and we're going to get there right away here. So waiting the longest in uh, on for the calls was I think think in order they came in from Tanner is in Yellow Creek, and he's going to join us right now. Hi, Tanner. Hi, how are you this morning? Pretty good. How are you? 
I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, so I've got a indoor lemon tree that is supposed to be self-pollinating, and it regularly starts producing new flowers, but uh, they always abort. They always uh, abort. There's a few things that can be causing the flowers to abort, and the biggest one is moisture and light. Um, so... Uh, when you're when you're watering your plant, especially the citrus, you want to make sure that that soil feels dry to the touch. And I usually will stick my finger down to the second knuckle of my finger and make sure it's dry down there before I'm watering. If I'm watering it too much, especially when it's in the flowering stage, those flowers are gonna they're gonna fall off. So check that's the first one. Uh, the second thing is uh, fertilizer and making sure that you're fertilizing and feeding them often. And there is a citrus fertilizer that you can you can purchase that are specific for citrus plants. So that is the the second thing. Have you been doing those two things? Uh, the watering, yes. The fertilizer, no. Okay. So yeah, pick up that fertilizer. You're going to notice a, a big difference. A lot of times we have those citrus plants in pots and we're watering them regularly. So there's no nutrients left in those that soil. So that will be, I think, key to your success there. There's also a slow release now, one. Now also, what, also, one thing you got to remember, inside the house, even though it's self-pollinating, it still needs insects and those kind of things to move the pollen around, Okay. So you probably have to also be take a Q-tip and be the bee and go from flower to flower to flower to flower and crisscrossing all the time. And that will help you too because, remember, you don't even got any wind inside the house to move that pollen around. So you don't have flies, you don't have bees and all that kind of stuff. So if you take a Q-tip and you go from flower to flower, you'll have a way better success as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for the advice. Perfect. Yeah. And there is a slow release uh, fertilizer that we've gotten citrus one, right? Like there's actually the granules you can put into the soil. Yeah. And that's going to keep it going. And there's citrus fertilizer you add to your water, but there's also a slow release and one, right? And there's even a foliar um, fertilizer too. You mi- mix it up and you spray it right on the leaves too. So there's some different types of fertilizer you can get for your citrus plants. So go into the garden center and ask about the citrus plants. They'll get you set up. There is some varieties of citrus that are asexual, so they will pollinate themselves as well too. So check to see what type of citrus you have and we can help you out with that too. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Take care, Tanner. Thanks a lot. one 332 8255 We've got uh, next one oh, waiting the longest here in Saskatoon. Lisa's on with us. Hi, Lisa. Oh, hi. Thank you. I appreciate you taking my call. No problem. Um, I have a quick question. and sorry if I don't have all the correct information. I bought a house last year, and it has these tall trees. I believe they're poplar. Very tall, thin, and... You've probably seen them around Saskatoon. They have a lot of dead branches on them. And I did a little research. It sounds like they have something called canker, and then the bark turns a bit black. And not the weeping birch, but I'm just wondering if you know anything that I can do to try to save these trees or at least make them look better or or what's sort of happening with them. Yeah, there's two things that happen with those tall, the Swedish aspens or the taller poplars, whichever one you have. They either get a canker in them, which usually is from a wound, you know, a lot of times, and then the wound goes in and brings a, 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 a fungal into it, and it causes a sort of a black growth, and then that goes inside and rots the inside, and then, of course, it just dies up the top. Or otherwise, what you also can get in those trees is called a poplar bore. It's an insect that drills inside the tree and it mines the inside and doesn't let sap go up to the top. So you'll, okay. and they'll, out of those where the holes are, they'll also ooze sap out of them as well. So you, you can have those two issues. Canker, if you have the canker, all it's going to really do is, if it's in the main trunk, there's not much you can do about them anymore because they're going to be in the sap system. It's less by, it's like having the leukemia, you know, only in the plant. It's, it's, it's affected the whole sap system. You can, okay. if it's just on the side branch, you can just trim a side branch off, but it's in the main trunk. There's not much you can do, um, you know, other than replacing the plant. And uh, but uh, but if it's if it's a poplar bore, you can find out where it's dead at the top and trim it down until you find the spot where the where the bores aren't there anymore. And you can every time you cut a piece off, you kind of look at the end and you can see the actually the mining holes inside the trunk uh, where you can trim it down to uh, to make sure you get rid of that that bug because there's no insecticide that can get them once they're inside the trunk of the tree. So the biggest way you can keep them actually uh, living longer and everything else, keep them healthy. Insects and disease don't normally go after trees that are healthy. So keep them well fertilized and well watered. Don't keep them stressed. And that's the best way to keep them healthy because there's no other. Once they have those two things, there's nothing I can give you to fix it. 
other than trying to keep them healthy. So, Lisa, uh, if you're not sure which one it is, you want more help with that, a good idea might be to, you know, take a bunch of pictures of that tree, and you can always email them in to... Info at DutchGrowers.com, or you can even bring them right into the garden centers. Um, there's usually a plant expert or somebody in their plant solutions department who can sort of help you help you through it. When you're taking a picture of an issue, you want to either bring a sample in if it's a problem on a leaf, take a picture close up, and then also far away of your of your tree, and then we can kind of look at it just to sort of um, give you the right right information and make sure we're diagnosing the right problem. But like Rick said, can't stress enough. Keep that tree healthy. Fertilize in the starting in the spring again, and uh, make sure you're doing some deep watering in that tree, um, and to make sure that that those bugs and diseases can't take over. How, how tall are these trees, Lisa? Oh, geez, I didn't realize how tall they were until I was walking down the alley looking at them. They are. Geez, I can't even say. You're going to say 20 feet in the air, 30 feet in the yeah, air? Yeah. Yes, definitely. I was surprised. And I can see the top branches. And I know you guys are familiar because once you notice, you can see them all around Saskatoon. And yep. you just see the dead branches. So I was going to at least in the fall or now just start trimming away the dead branches to, yep. you know, just try to get some of that debris off because then they catch a lot of leaves in those dead branches. I had a wasp nest in there, and I also noticed maybe carpenter ants um, are going up and down the trunk. So I've been just trying to help the tree, but then I appreciate this advice you've given me. Yeah, yeah trim trim out the dead for sure because that's just a, a safe haven for all kinds of insects and all that dead wood, you know. So you want to get that off for sure. And, and then keeping the tree healthy and keeping it growing, that, that's the biggest thing for next year. Because a lot of times with big trees, we kind of let them be on their own. We don't water them. We don't fertilize. We don't do anything with them. And, um, yeah, you got to keep them healthy all well, the time, every year. It doesn't matter how old they are. And, and for Lisa, this is a new property, right? You, you, you bought this yeah. house or place more recently. So it could have been, you know, last owners who weren't I looking know. after it, right? Don't forget, too, that, that arborists uh, can help you with this solution, too. So if you're if it's too big or too big of a job for you to, you know, up, up a ladder 30 feet in the air and trimming yeah. things <laughs> off, that, that an arborist can also, there's, there's great ones we've had on the show here before, uh, arborists you can find who can help you take care of that and then also die diagnose it properly too. So Brenda, who's on the line from Saskatoon called second. Mark's been waiting patiently for quite a while from Emerald Park. Uh, Brenda, let us know if, uh, or you can just, you can just, uh, you know, listen in. Maybe it's the same problem. I think, I think it's the same problem. So we're going to go right now to Emerald Park out by Regina and talk to Mark. Hi there, Mark. How are you? Hey, good. Hey, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good. Pretty good. So yeah. you got a little bit of an issue with a Schubert cherry tree, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, we noticed there was kind of look like initially I thought it was a web up in the tree, and then we cut these branches off, and it looks more like a cocoon, I guess, because this morning on the branches that were cut off, there's like little caterpillars in there. They're like a green and brown caterpillar and quite hairy, these things. I'm just wondering if they're like a tent caterpillar or what they are and what the heck I can do about them. Yeah, that's a summer tent caterpillar, and they go after Schubert cherries and apple tree families, like flowering crabs and apples and, and choke cherries, well, a variety of plants. And Brenda's, Brenda's call the, is from, from a choke cherry, so there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I did so notice we'll another apple tree as well, so. Sorry, uh, so Rick, what, what do we do about them? Okay, so one thing you do is, just like you did, is that there's not very many of them, and then especially in the evening, they all clump together in that, in that web. So what you can do is just trim that branch off and destroy it if you want. So, you know, step on it or throw it in the garbage or whatever. Okay. Or what you can do is you can also spray with a product called BTK, Bob, Tom, Ken. And uh, BTK is a biological. It doesn't affect ladybugs or bees or anything of that. It doesn't affect you. It only affects uh, caterpillars because what happens is you spray it onto the leaves. They digest the, uh, the, the, the BTK, and then it gives them a tummy ache, and they just quit eating, and then they die. Perfect. So either that way, just trim them off. Just take a pruners and trim it off and throw away that one branch or spray them with BTK. Okay, yeah, some of them are on the top of the tree, which is quite large. They're going to be hard to get at, but uh, yeah. do our best to get them cut down, and I'll uh, pick up some of that BTK and hopefully take care of these things anyway. So Yeah, and just yeah, grab a that. hose end sprayer too, and then you can kind of spray that quite high up in the tree as well. Just make sure it's a non-windy day. Okay, perfect. Appreciate it. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, Mark. Take care. one 877 So we'll zip over to Brenda here in Saskatoon. Brenda, does that answer your question for you? Yes, it did, Ashley. Thank you very much. Perfect. And you know what? We've learned, we've learned lots from your garden line, uh, lots of helpful hints around here. So 
keep on going, guys. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks for the call today. Take care. We actually have tent caterpillars in, along the perimeter of our property, our driveway, in our um, our flowering crops too. So we're going to be getting our BTK out this week yep. and, and getting some of those dealt with. I think it's it's around on a lot of places. Let's go to the text line. Yeah, go ahead, Rick. Sorry. Yeah, we had them also on our Spalier apple trees, and the crew went through and just trimmed off those branches because there's lots of branches that need to be trimmed anyways, and so they trimmed off those branches and just destroyed them, and that got rid of a lot of them that mm-hmm. way, too. Yeah. Over to the text line. This is from Bonnie, who's in Regina. Good morning. Just where exactly do those fruit flies come from is the question. Well, uh, fruit flies, they come from a lot of places. They will lay their eggs and larvae in anywhere that's wet and damp, but they come a lot of times on produce. Um, so a lot of times when you bring your fruits and vegetables in, they'll have these eggs that are so uh, miniature you can't even see them, um, usually laid in the skin or in the leaves or um, in the branches of the, the fruit. And uh, they'll, they'll hatch and then they tend to reproduce really quickly. Their life cycles are fast. So they will reproduce in any wet, dry areas. They'll be attracted to like sink drains, um, under sinks, garbage cans, top soils, the top um, half inch of soil of your house plants. They'll, they'll migrate to, and then they reproduce pretty quickly. To get rid of them, there's a few things you can do. You can use a nematode, um, uh, that, that you can sprinkle onto the soil. Mm-hmm. Jade's yep. use that yeah, and it works, it works really, good. really well. Really good. Um, or you can use uh, sticky sticks, which will catch the adults. But I do that in combination with um, maybe putting an apple, cut up an apple or a potato and put that on the surface of the soil. It will draw the larva up to the surface. You can remove that and then collect the adults with the sticky sticks. Um, that works really good. There also is a fungus gnat spray that you can get if you have a really bad infestation as well. Yeah, and that kind of kills yep. the ones that are flying yep. around. Now you got two things, Jill. You got you got the fungus gnat issues, but also right now because people are bringing fruit and and going to the fr- to the mar- to the market gardens and bringing actual fruit into the house. There's a fruit fly and then there's a fungus gnat fly. There's two different yep, ones. Okay, exactly. And so so if you do have a fruit fly, the best way to do that is just take a take a little cup and put some vinegar in the bottom of it, and then put a piece of saran wrap and poke some holes in it. The fruit flies will be attracted to that vinegar like crazy, and they'll go through the holes and they can't get back out. Mm-hmm. Right, really just a little trap. Little trap you can use for fruit flies. Perfect. The fungus gnats will they'll, they'll lay their eggs in the soil, and that that's that way you can take like Al Jill said with the with the piece of apple or potato that works awesome the best way for that one. So what some people will do with their fruit too is they'll put it in the fridge and hope that that um, stops the process. I don't have any, but as soon as you take it out, you basically just made them go dormant, and then they're they're coming mm. active again when they're back on the counter. So um, unless you're and then you peel the peel the um, the banana and put in the garbage, then you end up getting more fruit flies in your garbage right. bin. So it's, it's a very quick cycle. So um, just sort of keeping an eye on it and trying to, like Rick said, putting that vinegar out on the table and keeping them at bay is the, the quickest, fastest way to get rid of them. So Jen sent us a text from Saskatoon saying, we planted some fruit trees, apple, a plum, and a pear a few weeks ago. When do I need to fertilize them and what do I need to do to get them ready for winter? So with fertilizing, um, you want don't want to fertilize them right now. You want to wait till spring. So mm-hmm. May, you'll start fertilizing them, and then you'll spray, start fertilizing them every three weeks up until about uh, July 15th, um, or sorry, August 15th. Um, and then to get them ready for winter, just like what, what Rick was mentioning earlier, is you just you want to make sure you keep watering them. You want to slow down on your watering a little bit, and then right before um, we freeze up, you can give them a, a little bit more water. Perfect. Okay, let's take a quick break. We've got the lightning round coming up here shortly. Actually, sorry, I'm looking at the clock. We gotta let's do a few more texts. Uh, Karen from Vanskoy. I'm wondering if there's anything I could put in uh, plants in my garden now that I could still harvest this season, like lettuce or radishes. Absolutely. I got back and my lettuce had bolted, so it had turned to flower. So what I did is I grabbed a package of lettuce seed and I just sort of cut those lettuce back and I undersowed um, down. So some lettuce would be a great one. Cabbage has a little bit longer, so I wouldn't do that. But some of your leafy lettuces, um, like your romaine lettuce, your musclin mixes, those ones would do great. Spinach would do okay. Your herbs, you could definitely get get going. Radishes, you might be able to get if you cover them. Those are cold crops that you can you can do. Um, I, I've even had some people with some baby carrots uh, be able to to put them in the ground and be able to get some tiny baby carrots by covering them. So you're looking for cold crops right now. So if you're wanting to do some research, you can look up some some cold cold crops and then you want to make sure you grab some frost blankets as well. And uh, you can even put a little dome frost blanket over top to extend the season for you too. Okay, we're going to go over to, to Paul who is in Prince Albert right now and join him. Uh, hi there, Paul. 
Good morning. Good morning. You got a cherry tree with a problem. Yeah, they're, uh, I've got two, a Romeo and a Juliet, and one of them, it looked like it was starting to bud out in the spring, and then it just half of it died. And Rick, what, any ideas? What, what what you want to look for is two things: is uh, it might have taken some winter damage from last year, and but it'll, it's on its own roots; it'll come back again. The other thing you want to watch for is look for any on the main trunk of the tree. If there's any sap oozing out out of little lesions or little wounds, if it's if you say, find the sap oozing out, that means it's got a virus. And if it's got the virus, the best thing to do for that is just cut those pieces right out and then let the plant start again from the base. And it will come back up very quickly from the base once the top's been cut down. So watch for that. It could be just winter damage and just cut those, cut those branches out next year, start fertilizing. And uh, so that, because they don't like fertilizer to get when they're, when they're actually fruiting. They do more fruit if you don't fertilize them. But you do need to fertilize them if you just need to get the growth. Okay, so that's one thing I remember about sour cherries is that, yeah, when you when you want the production, no fertilizer. But if you want growth first, you need to fertilize, and uh, then you'll get that growth back again, and you get the trees back so that you can get the good production again. And remember, fertilize starting in the spring, so starting in May yeah. again. Don't fertilize not, now. Not for, yeah, definitely for sure, not now. Okay, any specific fertilizer? Or- I would just use, normally I would use a fruit and berry one, but if I'm trying to get the tree to, to, to get the bolt and get lots of growth on them, I'm going to use a 20-20-20 or a 30-10-10. Either one of those would be fine. Okay. <clears throat> I also have Saskatoons and, and uh, two plum trees. They could take the same fertilizer at the same time? Yeah, those ones there, if, as long as they're, you're not trying to get the growth back again and you just want berry production, use one that's called fruit and berry. It's a low nitrogen, but it has all the other micronutrients to give you a lot better tasting berries and even more berries, okay? But, oh, okay. You, don't want to use a, but you don't want to use a 20-20-20 if you want fruit production because otherwise the, if the tree's doing really well and not stressed, it won't produce as many berries. So you want to use the, the, the fruit and berry if the tree's healthy, only if you want growth, then and you go with the higher nitrogen. Okay, and the best the best time to thin out those uh, Saskatoons would be in the fall or the spring. Either one, either fall either or one. otherwise in in April and spring. Okay, because yeah, they're kind of taking over and they're they're really growing good. I didn't get much yeah. for berries at all this year though. Yeah, everybody had a problem with those today this year because of the drought. And so make sure you got got water to them. It's a big one, even even this fall. And also uh, the fertilizer is a big one. But uh, also watch for the for the rust. You might have to use some copper sulfate on them right now this year. And also watch for the um, there's a fleece beetle that that actually sucks on the on the leaves. You'll see them all sort of look like transparent in that. And so watch for those fleece beetles and get rid of them this fall, so you don't have them that bad next year. Okay, sounds good. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Paul. You're thanks. Oh, uh, thanks. That's great. Thanks for the call. To take take care. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Let's go to our text line, Rick and Jill. We've got lots to get through here. So uh, this is just another comment from Eleanor in Saskatoon. We we're talking about the grass earlier. What to, how long to keep the grass? Mm-hmm. She says when you talked about the grass length. Thanks for giving the length in inches. <laughs> Even after all these years of metric, I still understand the old system better. <laughs> right, we're not centimeters quite. Yeah, yet. that's right. That's right. Uh, so this is from Brian, who's in Saskatoon. I've got uh, new acute willows growing about two feet high. Something has stripped the top leaves i trimmed it back a bit now the leaves are stripped all the way down what could what could it be what can be done yeah you probably two things it could be one number one it could be a caterpillar or the second one it could be is a deer love those kind of leaves <laughs> they could have a deer walking through your yard and eating those leaves off of those right now but it's, it could be either one but most likely it's a caterpillar and if it's if you don't see a lot of them it could be what is called a horn hornworm which is a, one or two caterpillars, and they're big green ones with a big horn on the back of them. And they would love to eat those ones as well. So you won't notice them. You have to look really carefully because even though they're big, they're, they're camouflaged really well. Mm. One thing about caterpillars is you have to have the 
them in your tree for multiple years for them to kill your tree. So keeping your tree healthy is really important if you have caterpillars, but you can also use that BTK product on your tree to sort of get rid of them as well. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Let's go to the next text. This is Megan from Saskatoon, wondering if it's too late to put bulb fertilizer down on my tulips, uh, tulip ground, and where the lilies are dying down. Oh, no, definitely. You can add some uh, some bone meal in with them in the fall. You can do that, but I would wait a little bit later in the season. Um, you, the biggest thing is, is you you they have to go dormant again, but you don't want to get that new growth going on them, so you don't want to use like a water-soluble fertilizer to get it down and maybe those spark some new growth. You want them to start dying back down, putting the energy back down into the bulbs, and then you can put some slow release like a bone meal or something in them to, so that they're ready to go for next spring. All right, let's keep that uh, lightning round going. Wendy's in Saskatoon. Good morning. I purchased some mountain pines in the spring thinking I was going to plant them. I didn't due to a renovation going on at, on the exterior of our house. Can I winter them? And if so, can you tell me how? Yeah, plant them, pot and all into the ground in a shady spot, okay, not in the full sun. Right, so find a spot in the yard, just get the whole yep. dog, plant and all, pot and all, everything goes in the ground. And a place that gets good snow in- cover, too. Yeah, but but the key is make sure it's in a shady spot. Don't put it up against the house where it's right in the full sun. It will it will have a, it will brown out, okay, in a pot. So put it in a shady spot, plant the pot completely in the ground, and then pull the pot out next spring and, re, and then replant it where you want it. Perfect. Uh, Lawrence says, we have a silver maple tree in our yard that I'd like to trim. What's the best time of year to do that? Right now. Silver maples need to be trimmed from basically July 15th, approximately July 1st, up until the end of September. Now's the time to prune maples and birches and pine trees. Definitely, if you do pruning, prune them now. Okay. This is from Al. He's wondering, what's the best time of day to spray BTK for sod webworms? Uh, you want BTK, to... you can... Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Rick. <laughs> yeah, there's there's two things you can spray. You can spray BTK for sod webworms. That'll work, but a lot of times they're right down deep where the roots are, and BTK only works when they're on the leaves. And the sod webworm doesn't really eat the leaves of the grass; it eats the roots. So the best thing to use is a is a nematode. It's called grub out nematodes. So it's uh, it's it's actually a, a, a nematode, which is another insect that goes after the the larva of the sod webworm. That works better than BTK because mm-hmm. of the the. Yeah, the sod webworm's eating the roots rather yep. than the grass itself. Yeah, and I've had really good luck with that uh, with the gr- grub out stuff. It works works absolutely awesome. So it works yeah, really it good. looks really good. If we didn't get your call or your text, we'll answer your call or text after we get off the air here in just a moment. So Bob, hang on a second, and we'll get a couple texts answered. Keep that water going. It's still summer, so yeah, enjoy the rest of it. We are pretty much wrapped up for today. So happy gardening. Happy gardening. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick. Thanks for listening to Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.